Hey friends, Ashton here, and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. Way, way back, we had my dear friend Jay Papazan on. We were Let the Music Play podcast back then. Um, But we've changed over the years, shifted a little bit, got a little more clarity about who we are and the conversations we're having. And uh, Jay has been so kind to come back on and join us this week. Um, Jay's one of those guys where he's like who I want to be when I grow up. He's just, he's a thought leader. He's a visionary. He's always the smartest guy in the room and simultaneously kind of the quietest guy in the room. But when he speaks, everyone listens. Um, and I'm just super honored to call him friend and really grateful that he's joining us today. Um, so with that being said, Jay Papazan, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Ashton. I'm super excited to be here again. I really enjoyed the first one. And I remember I remember way back then you asked me, what's your favorite music? What's the favorite song you could hear? And I was like, nobody asked me about music. <laughs> and I think I answered my children's laughter. And it was one of those moments yes, where yes. I had a really nice aha. And it was great to, to come at uh, my life from a completely alien angle for me. So wow. really happy to be back. Beautiful. Well, um, you know, and you and I were kind of talking before the call a little bit that in the podcast world, not everyone goes back and listens three years, um, and I can't believe it's been that long, but where, where, where do you begin when you introduce yourself and your work in the world? Because I know you and I kind of connected through some speaking gigs, your book, The One Thing, which is a book that I revisit quarterly, if not monthly. Um, where do you begin when you introduce yourself and your work in the world? When someone asks me what I do, I usually just say I'm an author. Um, an author, an executive, one or the other, and keep it kind of general. Um, I think fundamentally my identity is that of an author. I only distinguish that from a writer in that I think authors also embrace some of the other work that writers aren't necessarily published. Authors are, and there's marketing and there's promotional work that comes with the research and the writing, and I've come to love all of it. So I think my first professional identity is there. And I also, you know, run some companies for um, our family and for, you know, me and my partner, my author partner, Gary Keller. Beautiful. Well, and that's one of the things that I love um, that you and Wendy have cultivated in your life is um, I see beautiful results on the on the aspect of business. I also see margin that you've carved out for yourself for your passions, for your relationships. Um, and so that's why I say you're, you're, you're one of the guys I want to be when I grow up. Um, and, and so you're, you're one of the most grown up guys. If you're not grown up, that I've ever met. um, and I mean that, I mean, it's, it's really your worldview is very cool. So mm-hmm. I think that's a, Thank you. a mutual feeling. Right on. Well, um, and so the one thing, I mean, this this thing's been a rocket ship for you guys for the last few years. It's been Wall Street Journal bestseller, all sorts of bestsellers. It's in who knows how many languages. Every airport I'm in, I see it. Um, what's the journey been like of this small yet massive idea of a book? It's been a rocket ride. Yeah. And I, I can tell you we had hoped um, and planned for it to do well. But then you go into every project kind of thinking big when you work with Gary Keller. Yeah. And I remember when we came out of the gate, he, we felt like to be a number one bestseller, we had to sell about 40,000 copies in the first month. 
which was kind of mind blowing in itself for me. Um, and I remember Gary saying, you know, if what you need is 40, why don't you bring back a plan for a hundred thousand? Hmm. So, you know, we, we launched the book, we didn't sell a hundred thousand, but we did become a number one bestseller and it's just been challenge after challenge. So it's forced a lot of growth for me. Um, I had done some public speaking before that, but the first year I think I went out on the road 34 times. Wow. Um, which was very tough for me when family comes first. Right. And then each year um, I've worked with my team and my family to divide the number of times I was willing to speak in half, but try to leverage those times I was away from my family into bigger opportunities. So not just financially, it could be a bigger organization. Beautiful. Um, and we've tried to be really purposeful in that and just you try to make every book take off and some of them do mm -hmm. and this one i mean you said we've now got 33 translations wow um 1.5 million copies sold and almost a third of all those copies happened overseas wow like a hundred thousand copies in south korea and i'm like okay south, <laughs> south koreans yeah. love the one thing <laughs> it's like it, it must fit their mentality for productivity wow um, I started seeing it on Instagram going, what, what language is that? And they mm. finally responded back. And then we started getting a, almost a year later sales reports. So, all right, to sum it all up, I'm rambling. Um, super happy with the results you plan for it. You don't always actually expect it. You just hope for it. And a lot of it has kind of come together for us. And when that does, all of a sudden you find yourself walking, walking into Google or Microsoft yeah. or Dell or some big corporation that you didn't imagine yourself walking in there to give them advice. And that's what I mean by growth. Well, amazing. Um, Cause I, you said I'm quiet and I prefer to be quiet. I, I'm an introvert. I like to <laughs> that's read a compliment. Like to write by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. I mean, I, I think I'm, my job is to listen, not yeah, to talk yeah. unless I happen to be being interviewed. Um, but it is one of those things that has created a lot of personal growth. And that's, that's super rewarding when yeah. you're outside of your comfort zone and you don't actually die like you thought you were. <laughs> well, um, there's, and there's so many layers to the book. I mean, um, it's, it's, it's a liberating book because I think what it does is it allows us to let go of some of these illusions that we think are necessary in our lives. And at the same time, circle back on what actually matters, what is going to lead you to sustainability, profitability, predictability, joy, fulfillment. I mean, how about some of these conversations? And that's, that's the, that's the essence of the book. Um, and, uh, I can't say enough good things about it. What I wanted to also talk about, though, is you just recently had this TEDx talk, um, which is kind of a little snippet overview, you know, of, of the book a bit, but it really was this idea on connecting your someday to today. Um, mm -hmm. And this is one of the things that I've really admired from kind of watching you from afar um, on how you guys are planning financially into passive income streams, how you're leveraging certain opportunities that you already have, how you're always focused, I can tell, on the family side of things. Um, so let's just kind of have this little walk and conversation about connecting your someday to today. Um, the first point that you made, really, is just this idea that w most of us just pinball through our days. What, what do you mean by that? I think when people uh, 
aren't really clear what they're saying yes to, um, it's really hard to say no to a lot of other stuff. When you talked about um, describe the book in short, um, that's one of my first kind of takeaways from the philosophy when I started really living it long before we published it. And if you know what your one thing is, but you have this really, really long list, you can do that one thing and not feel guilty about doing, doing the others. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we get it in reverse. We're just running from thing to thing, breathless. You know, I've had so days where you don't, you don't know when you're going to eat, much less go to the bathroom. And I do think that that's a, it's hardly characteristic of my worst days for a lot of people. That's just their days. They're bouncing between work priorities. They have multiple people who have authority to tell them what to do in their job. Um, they have responsibility for things they don't have authority over professionally, which is very frustrating. So they're being told, told, told. And that doesn't even encompass the things they know they have to do, like go shopping or to the drugstore, pick their kids up from school, visit their dad um, in the nursing home. I mean, we all have all of these priorities that are combating um, fighting for our time and our attention. And that's what I mean by pinballing. It just feels like we're bouncing through our days and it's easy to keep doing that because when you're rushed, you're just not as aware as you should be. That's right. And the book is really all about hitting pause so you can get clarity about what does matter. So you can start taking a little bit more direct line towards those things and avoid all the bouncing around. Absolutely. Uh, it, it is, um, it is a book of awareness. And what were some of the ways as you learned to hit pause as you learned the art of defining your one thing and living it out. Because I think, you know, in the book you write, you eventually learn that everything doesn't matter equally. Um, <laughs> yet our culture and society and maybe just our jobs and our inboxes and cell phones sometimes convince us that everything does matter equally. Um, how did you start to process that just in your own life of, man, I, I can't know it all and have it all and do it all? Well, you're referencing like a, a part of the TED talk, the TEDx talk rather. Yeah, yeah. Um, it really was the inspiration for the whole book. And I do think that when you ask, most people are walking around asking like they can um, have it all, know it all, and do it all, right? They're not actually making active choices. They're seeing what's next and saying yes. Hmm. And then responsibilities begin to accumulate. And I've lived that way for a lot of my life. And I think that when you stop, and kind of identify the clear priority. Um, I would like to have a richer experience here. Making a choice, right, it's, it's a decision, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which actually comes from the same word as scissors. It's to cut other things away. Right. You're deciding, right? So it, it, it's, it's not a, a soft thing. It's a hard thing. Yeah. And saying yes to that thing does mean you will say no to others. And I find it after the initial shot of trying it a few times – um, it's a much richer way to live yeah. because yes, I am maybe having fewer total opportunities, but I'm making the most of the ones I choose. And there are so many ways to look at that. And I don't want to repeat the, the TEDx verbatim, but like just a couple of the areas the the, the lead story for me was always with my family. Mm-hmm. And I shared that at a certain point in my children's life, they were, I think six and seven, it was our first spring break as a family, but we just moved into a new house. My wife and I were overwhelmed, and we made a decision to do a staycation. We were just going to hang out and enjoy our new pool and see some sights around Austin. Um, it was a partial cop-out. I mean, we, were, we had good reason to be tired. 
Um, but when my boss, Gary, my partner, heard what I was doing, he had an older son. And he just very quickly and concisely uh, made me feel awful about the decision. Um, he looked at me and he said, you know, Gus being about six years old then, he says, you know, you've only got about 10 spring breaks left. And he let me process that. And I, I remember getting angry first. Now, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I didn't even realize like I was being exposed, but I'm like, what yeah. do you mean 10? And the reality was, and he shared, he goes, in 10 years, you're, Gus is going to be 16. You know, Jay, Wendy, Gus, and Veronica going on spring break is not going to be the same thing. He's yeah. going to want to go with his friends or he may want to bring his girlfriend. Yeah. So if you're lucky, you've got 10 left. How are you going to use them? And so one of the beautiful things about limiting your focus to the things that matter is it brings clarity so much faster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's tons of research. I mean, you and I both have sales, right, in our career. You have a real estate sales team. My wife does too. I sell books. If you offer people too many choices, they don't choose. Mm. If you narrow the choices, they're more likely to. And the same works for us. Yeah. So in all of those areas, you know, instead of trying to be a know-it-all, be an expert on something. Right. Instead of trying to have it all and just be a consumer. Or, I mean, I had one person describe Amazon as the ultimate drug for the hunter gatherer in all of us right <laughs> Ooh, i could use a new socket wrench right instead of just gathering and collecting stuff you know you could assemble a collection of something that's truly precious yeah. but yeah. do it on purpose yeah. so as i've inched my way and i'm hardly a master of it through process and practice and failure i i find that my life has become a little bit more simple hmm. um and a lot more rewarding yeah yeah, I some of the words that have like new words come at me every time I kind of revisit this conversation, but a richer life, a, a more simple life, um, a more ful fulfilling life. But I, I think one of the hardest things to do is get comfortable with no. That um, in the myriad of choices that come our way, whether it's business opportunity, investing, Hey, these people asked us to go to dinner. Should we take this vacation? Uh, you're telling me that your experience has been the more often you use no, the more easier it becomes to say that. Because I think it's just hard to say no, right? To whatever comes our way. It is. I think especially if you're a people person. Yeah. Um, at the end of the book, we have the thieves of productivity. And the number one is the inability to say no. Um, in our experience to our first audience, uh, the people that we knew, the, our readers, like a lot of them were in sales. And if you're a people person, disappointing other people, the fear of that is yeah. a big deal. Yeah. The second thief is the fear of chaos. Um, I'm an introvert. Um, I like order. And for me, uh, saying no to the menial stuff, like I, I, I want to organize these files. I want to get to inbox zero. That's actually not meaningful work. Hmm. That just makes me feel better. Um <laughs> So that's my personal challenge. But for most people, they just don't say no. Yeah. And there are tricks around that. I mean, I usually, when someone raises their hand and say, I'll do that, boss, I usually just ask when. Hmm. And I'll pause and say, "What? Well, great, when do you think you'll do that? And most people say yes without ever thinking in their head right. if they have any available time. That's good. They're just adding on more work to an already full plate. Which is why a lot of people, as soon as the kids are in bed, have their laptop out. Yeah. 
if they wait till their kids are in bed. (laughs) And so that, that fear of saying no. So I don't suffer from that as much as other people, but I will say this. I, I often will go back and, and redo my priorities. I've had to do it several times over the past couple of years where I have wholesale canceled appointments. Hmm. Um, a new deadline has come up, um, something, a, a, a bigger priority. And then I will go through my calendar with my assistant and say, all of these time blocks need to be converted back to writing blocks, say. And I remember like there's that look of devastation on my EA's face. And I'm like, don't worry about it. I promise you most of them are going to say awesome. They just want to know when they'll reschedule it. Mm-hmm. If you called someone tomorrow and say, I can't make our coffee appointment, there would be initial disappointment, but I guarantee you when they hang up the phone, there's also relief because they just got a free block of time back in their day that was already overstuffed. Right. Um, there was actually some research done around how people felt about canceled appointments. And for the most part, they felt thankful. Wow. <laughs> so like i think i think we overestimate how much will disappoint me people yeah but i've done i've done a whole series on tricks around saying no without saying no especially within your team and your family and the, the crux of it is if you do this i'll do that mm-hmm. or yes but on my terms or my time so you don't have to use the word no all the time. Right. People ask me all the time for writing advice. And I'll say, sure, you know, do this and this. And one of the things that they have to do is watch an hour-long audio with some slides time to it of a publishing class that I taught once. But if they don't sit through that hour in front of a computer, which is not fun because, I mean, it's different than being in a live class, just yeah. seeing it on the screen – we won't have common language and it won't be worth my time to spend with them. And I tell them that and say, look, if you watch that, you're going to have the language you need for us to have a meaningful discussion. And I might send that to 10 people and maybe three or four will ever circle back to schedule the time to talk. Interesting. And so it's like a tripwire. I've said yes, but on my terms. <laughs> right. That's good. Uh, your boss comes by and said, can you do this for me? Absolutely. How about next Tuesday? If your boss wants something done, if you ask him when, what are they always going to say? Sure. Sure. But they're, if you say when, they're going to say as soon as you can yep. because they're impatient people. That's right. Yep. <laughs> but the reality is most of the time when people are dumping work in your lap, they just want to know that you've got it. Hmm. And so I always teach people to push those dates in the future. So no is a big deal. I think it's – just a skill set and a muscle that people aren't used to practicing and they might be surprised how easy it is and how, how much fun it is once they get the hang of it. And it, it, especially when you become clear on what you're after, um, you know, I think, I think that it's, it's hard to go, Hey, you want to know why you're burnt out and overwhelmed and overworked? It's just because you say yes to everything. They're like, well, you don't understand my life. Uh, or you come at it and you're like, Hey, what do you truly want? What do you what do you what do you want to be known for? What do you want your legacy to be? What impact do you want to have? Who is it that you truly want to be in the world? And when that's defined, now all of a sudden, no isn't this damaging word. Rather, it becomes this this word of liberation. 
Um, right. And, and you're kind of kicking around some of the fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. So many of the yeses are just so that they didn't feel left out or on the outside of something. That's right. It doesn't actually align with who they are, or who they want to be. That's right. And that clarity is the ultimate, you know, in the book, we said, if you want to know the answer, you have to ask a question. And so the key to all of it is like, ask, what's my one thing here? What's my one thing as a father? What's my one thing professionally? Most people know the answer they just don't ever stop to focus on it. Mm. And knowing that answer usually logically eliminates a lot of paths. Yeah. It's like, okay, I don't know exactly where I'm going, but I'm heading north. That's right. And that eliminates three whole compass directions for my life. But knowing that I'm supposed to head north and that's where I ultimately will love going and enjoy the journey and be the most fulfilled, why would I feel any regrets about not ever going south? Because it's impossible to do it all. That's right. It's just not possible. Yeah. 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 Let, getting ridding your life of regrets. I know that's probably impos- an impossible task, but to reduce those regrets, um, I don't know if anything's more painful in the human experience than regret. Um, and, Especially, yeah, I mean, regrets where it matters most are yeah. the hardest. Yeah. And for me, that usually comes back to those relationships that matter most. I don't want any regrets there. Yeah. I won't regret it if I fail to write another book. Um, you know, that one more thing, that one more star that you can put on the shelf or trophy. Most of that stuff is not the stuff of deep regret. It's the stuff that you failed to live a life that was really true to yourself or you failed to live the relationship to its its ultimate fulfillment with the people that matter most. Yeah. And, you know, it's not what we intend to do. It's just what happens when we're not focused on it. Right. So once we gain this idea that we have limited time and we become super clear and conscious of what we want in life, who we want to be, the direction we want to go, our one thing amidst all the different areas of life, um, one of the just super simple ahas is this idea of working backwards from our goals. Um, Mm. And uh, even when you look at it on paper, you're like, well, duh, that, that makes a lot of sense. But I know it's this thing that we don't really think about every day. Um, and a lot of us are like, well, this is where I want to be in 10 years. This is what I want to be in five years. Um, hold my hand on this idea, and probably the best place to start, as you talked about, uh, is the maze metaphor. I'd, I'd love to. That's one of my favorite kind of concepts to kick around. I, I will say this. You used the word super clear, and I think you were just segueing. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say that most people, I, I'm not super, super ultra clear on everything. And I think people, like, I think a lot of people walk around feeling bad that they aren't. That's good. Um, Good I think that what you need is kind of like, I was using the compass directions for a reason. We don't always know the destination, but it isn't hard to figure out the direction. Yeah. So it's okay not to be perfectly clear, um, but you should have some clarity around it. I just, only because a lot of people come to me and they're apologizing because they've got, 50% 50% clarity. And I'm like, mm. you're at least you're looking for it. Mm-hmm. That's so huge. I mean, and that only leads to more and more clarity. So sorry to interrupt, but that is no. one of those things like, but knowing that direction, um, we do have this ability to reach out and work backwards. And the trick here, the, the, the maze metaphor, I, I wish I could remember the gentleman's name who told me this, but we were talking about like our favorite dad tricks. 
And if you go to a restaurant and, you know, you get the little puzzles and stuff for your kids, you can impress them by just showing them how fast you can work the maze. <laughs> and the trick is to work the maze backwards. Yeah. If you start in the center and work your way to the outside, um, most of the maze design was designed to go in the other direction. So the false turns have been eliminated. The dev dead ends have been largely eliminated. And it allows you to do things much faster. And the same kind of thing works with planning. Um, you can find it in the military. There's lots of places where they've adopted this thinking, um, but it's, it's working backwards with the end in mind. So you look up and you say, you know, someday I want this outcome. And we kind of called that goal setting to now in the book. And most people say, yeah, someday I want to be a published author or um, I want to own a mansion on the hill and take care of my parents or I want to live in France or whatever their someday goal is, right? They have this notion that they've been carrying around that's, impor that's important to them. And they ask the question, well, great, what do I need to do now? And that's a, just an enormous bridge, you know, <laughs> right. that you have to lay out in your mind. Yep. Yep. It's almost impossible. Like yep. if I want to be a best-selling author someday, like seven, eight years in the future, what does that mean for my week? Yep. And that, that lack of clarity um, has a couple of costs without going into it, like all of the research. But one, we don't actually know how to connect the dots because it's very hard to do that based on, this week or this month, how does that connect to my someday goal? Um, and we don't have much motivation because the farther in the future a reward is, the less pull it has over us this week. Hmm. So the day or the month that you wrote that big goal down, I'm going to become an author, right? Or I'm going to become a director in the movies. You're all excited. And then you slowly lose steam. That is the case for most people. But when you work backwards, you're kind of pulling it to you and mm -hmm. so the, the the way we constructed it in the book based on your someday goal what's the one thing you can accomplish in five years that would make you feel like you're absolutely on track for that goal not everything but what would be the essential thing and most people can die they can throw a dart at that yeah. they say, well you yeah. know i think i'd have to at least finish my first book awesome great let's write that down and then you say, based on your five-year goal, not your someday, but your five-year goal, what do you think you'd have to do this year to be on track for that? And then they're like, okay, well, I think it would have to be X. I would have to finish my manuscript, the first draft of my manuscript. Great. So let's go backwards from there. Based on your annual goal of finishing a manuscript, what would you have to do this month? And now it's getting more and more specific. They're like, well, if it's a 250-page manuscript, I think I said I'd have to write about 30 pages. Awesome. So you'd have to write 30 pages this month. Great. Let's write that down. Well, based on that goal, your monthly goal of 30 pages, what would you have to do this week to be on track for that? And now that you're getting into simple division, right? Yeah. Right. Oh, if I could just do, you know, seven or eight pages, I'm on track for that. Awesome. Great. Well, what would you have to do today to be on track for your week? And everybody looks up and all the engineers out there are screaming like, but what if your five-year goal is wrong, right? <laughs> right. Um, the point is, directionally, you've started drawing dots backwards. Yeah. And so when you look forward without any dots between you, the arrows can go everywhere. Mm -hmm. And you could be going wildly off course. 
directionally, when you work backwards, you're a lot more self-assured. And I usually tell people at the end of that first month, you'll be a lot clearer about what your annual goal should be. Yeah. Yeah. And by the end of that first year, you might laugh at what you thought your five-year goal was, but you'll be a lot clearer at it. And as you continue to kind of update this process, you kind of pull your dreams back into reality where you can actually take action on them. Yeah. And you can celebrate. I did my seven pages for the week. That's Woo-hoo! right. That's awesome. Right. Yeah, gradually then suddenly. Yeah, you've got little moments of victory along the way versus this ambiguous journey to something that could be five years in the future, which is right. just so hard to sustain. Yeah. yeah. So that's we call that goal setting to the now. It's pulling those big goals into the present so that we can engage with them in a meaningful fashion. And two things that I loved on that. One, permission to reevaluate. Um, I think that's huge. Um, that as you set a five, 10 year goal, you may get a year in and go, whoa, I, this, uh, I, I still see the star of where we're headed, but it's going to look a little bit differently. Um, <laughs> that's huge. And then just this idea of pulling the dream into reality. Um, there's, for some reason, I like the, I like the sound of that better than chasing the dream. Um, it, it's almost like you attract that dream. You, you attract that reality once you've defined those miniature, small baby steps um, that can eventually get you there. I don't know. Maybe that's just a, a, a word feel thing. No. Um, what appeals to you is what appeals to you. Your yep. answers are your answers. I mean, yep. while you were saying attract, I was like, well, for me, it's more about control hmm. and certainty because that's my personality, right? Interesting. To me, I'm, I feel like I'm lassoing it or something. Yeah. And I'm trying to, trying to pull it towards me but I've got this connection to it through the mm-hmm. rope, yeah. right? So it feels a lot more concrete, and I know where I am. Um, and that's very comforting to my personality. Yeah, um, And the reevaluation thing, um, the most successful people in life, I can't remember who said this, are those that are awesome at plan B. <laughs> and that's just the truth, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, there's so many quotes like, you know, yeah. um, plan every A battle never plan happens. works until you get punched in the mouth, right? <laughs> Mike Tyson. You know, uh, every military, you know, strategy fails with the first contact and that's just reality. And so people think that you have to have this perfect knowledge about the path. No, you just Mm got to have a direction to get started and be willing to improvise along the way. And I mean, I read somewhere that when the man was launched, you know, from earth to the moon, they were actually only on trajectory like 3% of the time. 97% of that trip was course correction. Wow. And don't quote me on the numbers, but it's close, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. But that's that's great things happen that way. Yeah. And that's how we've done everything in our life. It's only in retrospect when we're telling fish stories that we sound so certain about our destinations. <laughs> right. It, yeah, we can only connect the dots looking backwards. Always. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. if I asked you how you came to where you are today – most of us do this naturally. We see the milestones that brought us here, not all the false paths. Yep. But when we look forward, we see all the opportunities, which is why we do that working backwards. Yep. Because we're looking for the milestones that matter, not yep. all of the things we could do, but the few that we should. That's good. That's real good. So, um, and this is probably a whole other conversation in itself, but, but for our listeners that are hearing some of this, maybe they're going to get into the book soon and they haven't before, Give us just a little framework for stepping into naming your one thing. Where should one look? Is this passions, heart space, history, uh, curiosity, 
all e all of the above where when when you're because this is this is a huge idea um and and i think sometimes people when they hear that just naming one thing they get a little a little nervous about that but um hold my hand on kind of introducing that conversation to someone of like hey maybe these are some places you could look into to discover what that may be absolutely um and i remember when we called it the one thing and 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 we're promoting that to the New York booksellers, they're all like, what? There's never just one thing. Like they just were incredulous. What are you talking about? <laughs> and I think, I think most people meet the idea with that. Either they are articulating it or they're feeling it. Yeah. So the whole idea of the one thing isn't that you only have one thing. Um, if I showed you my goal sheet, there's a lot of stuff on it. It's about, you can only have one area of focus at a time. And so you have to figure out at this time, what your one thing is so that you're, trying to be appropriate in the moments of your life, yeah. right? When you're with your children and it's bedtime, you need to put the phone away and read your book to them because that is something you might regret later in life. But that is the one thing that you need to be doing then. Professionally, right, you tend to have few things that matter much more than others. So there's a, a few points of entry. You mentioned everything doesn't matter equally. We talked about Pareto's principle. Yeah. So we lean on that hard in the book. And if you look at all the things that you could do to make a goal happen, Pareto's principle says that 20% of what you'll do will give you 80% of your results. We just want to keep doing that till you get to the one thing that gives you maximum return. And start there. It doesn't mean you won't do the other things. That's yeah. where you always start. Yeah. And so first off, like just it's not as tough as it sounds. In the book on page 114, it's the only page I've memorized, <laughs> um, we have the seven circles, the seven areas of your life where you might ask what my one thing is. We have a very specific question. Uh, what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary? It's not two things. It's not three things. It's one thing. And your brain's surprisingly good at coming up with it. And my experience, most people know it and feel guilty for not doing it. It's not that they can't know it. And it's what you can do, not what you could or should in the future. It's what you mm. can currently do to make progress and get results. And everything else is about that thing that has the biggest impact, such that everything else is easier and necessary. We ask that about our spiritual life. We ask that about our physical health, our personal life, our key relationships, our job, our business, if we own one. If we work in someone else's business, do we know how our one thing in our job connects to the one thing of the business? One of the best pieces of career advice you could take is connecting your job to the ultimate goal of the business. No matter how small the connection, that is a key to your moving up. That's good. And the last one would be finances. Yep. And guarantee you someone out there has said, well, what about cat videos? Or what about this? If you've got a, something <laughs> hugely important to you, you would ask that question there too. And what's important to you is whatever's important to you. But we've found most people's big questions and answers lie in those seven areas. And then you just have to walk around by asking that question, knowing the answer. And that allows you a framework for saying no to the other stuff and kind of bringing first focus to those things. Mm. And that's a lot of words. Does that make sense so far? Yes. I mean, I, I, I can't, um, and, and kudos to you guys, but I'm just sitting here going, I don't know how many times I've said under my breath at the dinner table in the office or somewhere, what's the one thing we can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary. 
Um, and just over happy, like man. it's it's like that's on my like top 10 should be tattoo list i don't have a tattoo but like maybe i should have that on your forearm or something um like what is I've the got one dominoes on mine dude, yes which is, is... <laughs> so the, the the number one domino for those who are listening is kind of the lining up your dominoes the first domino is your first priority so Love i it. ended up making the leap after we sold 500,000 copies and I was pretty sure I wouldn't have a tattoo of a book that was on the remainder shelf anytime soon. <laughs> well, you took the metaphor and put it as a tattoo instead of the words itself. Um, yeah, this, but that's I can always awesome. pretend like I'm just a big domino fan. Right. <laughs> um, but that question, if you look at the book and you flip it over, we don't have testimonials on the back. We don't have endorsements on the back. We just have a giant question mark. And you talk about clarity of purpose um, when we wrote the manuscript originally, it was around 440 pages long. That's how long the book would have been. Wow. And we revisited our goals. And the number one thing we wanted to happen is that when someone closed that book, they would say, what's my one thing? They want, mm. We wanted them to ask that question. And so that clarity, right, which said, who reads the testimonials anyway? Let's put that question mark. I want them to have this as a tool in their life, right, to help them remember that thing. It, we cut the book from 440 pages down to like 220. Wow. We did that in less than three months. It was painful at times, but we kept asking, does this lead to that outcome? If the answer was no, then we pulled it out and saved it for a blog post or a speech or whatever. And we tried to streamline the book towards that one hmm. purpose of getting people into the habit of asking that question. What's my real priority? What's my real priority today in this moment? Because that clarity allows us to take better, more meaningful action for ourselves, our relationships, and everything else. Well, love it. So uh, I always ask people, because I know you're an avid reader, you're an outdoorsman, fly fisherman. Um, what's what's keeping you curious these days? Pit like craft barbecue. What is it? I, th- I feel like we have all of these similar passions uh, from your Instagram uh, feed. Right, right. So <laughs> after moving to Texas, that was back in 2000. It only took me 12 or 13 years to try to cook brisket. So yeah. I, I have like a tried to adopt that as something that's something I'm exploring, and I'm definitely on the learning side. My biggest new adventure is can I make pastrami, which ah, is one yes. of my favorite all-time meats. And I've made it a couple of times, and the flavor's right, but the texture's wrong. So <laughs> I still have a journey ahead of me. Um. I always read. I always love movies. Um, I'm trying to think of new things that I'm into a little bit. Um, and this is a oh, little gosh. plug for your email too, because your email kind of always says what your new things you're up to and things like that. Well, that's been a journey for me too. So a little over a year ago, um, one of my goals was to be better networker, and I started meeting with one person a week, a stranger a week. And you're a social person. You'd like, like, what? You only met one person a week. <laughs> That was a big, terrifying goal for me in the mm-hmm. beginning. And I remember we like four years into it, my coach says, so what are you doing to stay in touch with all these people? And I'm like, well, they call me. They email me because <laughs> <laughs> that's not the answer I was looking for. So his challenge to me was to be if I spent all this time meeting people that I really did like, mm-hmm. stay in touch. And so you're referring to my newsletter. So that's been a really great thing because – Every month, I, I'm due to, to write the next edition this week. I have to ask, what did I do the, the, this month? Hmm. And I tend to be one of those people um, who's very nostalgic about the past, right? I, <laughs> I can really get nostalgia. 
but most of my attention is on the future. And what, what time zone is missing from that? Hmm. The present. The present. Yeah. And my presence usually dominated by doing this so I can get there in the future. And what's really been nice about that process of reflecting, like I don't journal. That's not something I've ever done. Um, this is essentially me doing a monthly journal that I'm sharing with some close friends and colleagues. Yeah. And it's been so great. Yeah. I've had such gratitude for my life. Um, and that's been something that each month I'll, I'll come up from that, come up from air and chat with my wife and about, wow, this is awesome. I love this experience of stopping and reflecting um, and being a little bit more present in the near term instead of always chasing the thing in the future. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Intentionality, reflection, presence. Um, it's been a cool thing. It's, I, I love getting the email. I feel like it keeps me near to what you're up to and um, all the fun stuff that you're involved in. Um, Yay. All right. He's doing his job then. That's right. Great. That's right. Well, um, like I said in the first conversation, uh, on behalf of so many of us that you and Gary have helped point us towards more clarity, more peace, rest, satisfaction, fulfillment, you name it. Um, super grateful for your work in the world. Um, it has helped me, my life, my business, my relationships, and I know it's going to do that here uh, for all of us that we sit at the table and have these conversations on a weekly basis. So thanks so much for um, your generosity of time and uh, for always sharing some good words with us. Thanks, man. I just love talking with you. I could do it all day long. You bet. So before we go, where's the best place you would send people to kind of follow you and your work? Social media, website, where should we send them? Well, all things The One Thing are at theonething.com with the number one. And the good news about me, my name Jay Pappasan, um, it's really easy to Google because I'm the only <laughs> one in the United <laughs> States. And so if you did Jay Pappasan TED, TEDx talk, you would find that. If you yep. did Jay Pappasan Facebook, you'd find me there. Um, I, I'm a little bit more active, as you mentioned, on Instagram. That's one of my guilty pleasures. So <laughs> I can go take pictures of my dog or my barbecue or whatever yeah. I'm doing. But, uh, yeah, I'd say go to the website if you're interested in learning more. Um, or, you know, if you just want to connect with me, um, go, go out and Google me. It's pretty easy. I'm pretty easy to find. Right on. And we'll make sure that we put uh, all of that info in the show notes. Um, Jay, Perfect. thanks again, man. Super grateful for you. Thank you. Hey, before you go, don't forget to hit subscribe right there on your phone. That's probably where you're listening. Uh, and if you enjoyed this, would you mind leaving us a review? One of the things that we're wanting to do is get this information out to as many people as we can. And we are finding that uh, when people leave good, true, and beautiful reviews, uh, that helps us get this information out more and more to people all across the world. I do not take it lightly uh, that you invite me to ride shotgun with you in your car, uh, you allow these conversations to be a part of your jogs. You allow these conversations to be a part of the communities and families and businesses that you've been entrusted. Uh, I do not take that lightly at all, and I am thrilled uh, that you have joined us here at this table, at this conversation. There's always a seat left. There's always room for more, uh, and we are just so grateful for you guys joining us here at Good, True, and Beautiful. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid. Listen to the bluebirds sing and be love. <laughs>